Chapter Twelve of Ziska by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ilianthi. A curious yet very general feeling of superstitious uneasiness and discomfort pervaded the Gazira Palace Hotel the day after the Princess Ziska's reception. Something had happened, and no one knew what. The proprieties had been outraged, but no one knew why. It was certainly not the custom for a hostess and a princess to boot, to dance like a wild bacchante before a crowd of invited guests, yet, as Dr. Dean blandly observed, where was the harm? In London, ladies of good birth and breeding went in for skirt dancing, and no one presumed to breathe a word against their reputations. Why in Cairo should not a lady go in for a Theban dance without being considered improper? Why, indeed, there seemed no adequate reason for being either surprised or offended, yet surprised and offended most people were, and scandal ran rife, and rumour wagged all its poisonous tongues to spread evil reports against the Princess Ziska's name and fame, till Denzil Murray, maddened and furious, rushed up to his sister in her room and swore that he would marry the princess if he died for it. "'They're blackguarding her downstairs, the beasts,' he said, hotly. "'They're calling her by every bad name under the sun. "'But I will make everything straight for her. "'She shall be my wife, if she will have me. "'I will marry her to-morrow.' "'Helen looked at him in speechless despair. "'Oh, Denzil,' she faltered, and then could say no more, "'for the tears that blinded her eyes. "'Oh, yes, of course, I know what you mean,' he continued. "'marching up and down the room excitedly. "'You are like all the others. "'You think her an adventuress. "'I think her the purest, noblest of women. "'There is where we differ. "'I spoke to her last night. "'I told her I loved her. "'You did?' "'And Helen gazed at him with wet, tragic eyes, "'and she, she bade me be silent. "'She told me I must not speak. "'Not yet. "'She said she would give me her answer "'when we were all together at the Mina House Hotel.' "'You intend to be one of the party there, then?' said Helen faintly. "'Of course I do, and so do you, I hope. "'No, Denzil, I cannot. Don't ask me. "'I will stay here with Lady Falkwood. "'She is not going, nor are the Chetwynd Lyles. "'I shall be quite safe with them. "'I would rather not go to the Mina house.' "'I could not bear it.' "'Her voice gave way entirely, and she broke out crying bitterly. Denzil stood still, and regarded her with a kind of sullen shame and remorse. "'What a very sympathetic sister you are,' he observed, "'when you see me madly in love with a woman, a perfectly beautiful, adorable woman. You put yourself at once in the way, and make out that my marriage with her will be a misery to you. You surely do not expect me to remain single all my life, do you?' "'No, Denzil,' sobbed Helen, "'but I'd hoped to see you marry some sweet girl of our own land "'who would be your dear and true companion, "'who would be a sister to me, who... "'There, don't mind me. "'Be happy in your own way, my dear brother. "'I have no business to interfere. "'I can only say that if the Princess Ziska consents to marry you, "'I will do my best to like her for your sake.' "'Well, that's something at any rate,' said Denzil, with an air of relief. "'Don't cry, Helen. It bothers me. "'As for the sweet girl you have got in view for me, "'you will permit me to say that sweet girls are becoming uncommonly scarce in Britain, "'what with bicycle riders and great rough tomboys generally, "'with large hands and larger feet. "'I confess I do not care about them. 
I like a womanly woman, a graceful woman, a fascinating, bewitching woman, and the princess is all that and more. Surely you consider her beautiful. Very beautiful indeed, sighed poor Helen. Too beautiful. Nonsense, as if any woman can be too beautiful. I'm sorry you won't come to the meaner house. It would be a change for you, and Gervaise is going. Is he better today? inquired Helen timidly. Oh, I believe he is quite well again. It was the heat, or the scent of the flowers, or something of that sort, that made him faint last night. He's not acclimatised yet, you know, and he said that the princess's dancing made him giddy. I don't wonder at that, murmured Helen. It was marvellous, glorious, said Denzil dreamily. It was like nothing else ever seen or imagined. If she were your wife, would you care for her to dance before people? inquired Helen tremblingly. Denzil turned upon her in haughty wrath. How like a woman that is, to insinuate a nasty suggestion, to imply an innuendo without uttering it. If she were my wife, she would do nothing unbecoming that position. Then you did think it a little unbecoming, persisted Helen. No, I did not, said Denzil sharply. An independent woman may do many things that a married woman may not. Marriage brings its own duties and responsibilities. Time enough to consider them when they come. He turned angrily on his heel and left her, and Helen, burying her fair face in her hands, wept long and unrestrainedly. This strange woman out of Egypt had turned her brother's heart against her and stolen away her almost declared lover. It was no wonder that her tears fell fast, wrung from her with the pain of this double wound, for Helen, though quiet and undemonstrative, had fine feelings and unsounded depths of passion in her nature, and the fatal attraction she felt for Armand Gervaise was more powerful than she had herself known. Now that he had openly confessed his infatuation for another woman, it seemed as though the earth had opened at her feet and shown her nothing but a grave in which to fall. Life, empty and blank and bare of love and tenderness, stretched before her imagination. She saw herself toiling along the monotonously even road of duty till her hair became grey and her face thin and wan and wrinkled, and never a gleam again of the beautiful, glowing, romantic passion that for a short time had made her days splendid with the dreams that are sweeter than all realities. Poor Helen! It was little marvel that she wept, as all women weep when their hearts are broken. It is so easy to break a heart. Sometimes a mere word will do it. But the vanishing of the winged love-god from the soul is even more than heartbreak. It is utter and irretrievable loss, complete and dominating chaos out of which no good thing can ever be designed or created. In our days we do our best to supply the place of a reluctant eros by the gilded grinning mammon figure which we try to consider as superior to any silver-pinioned god that ever descended in his rainbow car to sing heavenly songs to mortals, but it is an unlovely substitute, a hideous idol at best, and grasp its golden knees and worship it as we will, it gives us little or no comfort in the hours of strong temptation or trouble. We have made a mistake, we in our progressive generation, we have banished the old sweetnesses, triumphs and delights of life, and we have got in exchange steam and electricity. 
but the heart of the age clamours on unsatisfied none of our new ideas content it nothing pacifies its restless yearning it feels this great heart of human life that it is losing more than it gains hence the incessant restless aching of the time and the perpetual longing for something science cannot teach something vague beautiful indefinable yet satisfying to every pulse of the soul and the nearest emotion to that divine solace is what we in our higher and better moments recognize as love and love was lost to helen murray the choice pearl had fallen in the vast gulf of might have been and not all the forces of nature would ever restore to her that priceless gem and while she wept to herself in solitude and her brother denzil wandered about in the gardens of the hotel encouraging within himself hopes of winning the bewitching ziska for a wife armand gervaise shut up in his room under plea of slight indisposition reviewed the emotions of the past night and tried to analyse them some men are born self-analysts and are able to dissect their feelings by some peculiar form of mental surgery which finally leads them to cut out tenderness as though it were a cancer love as a disease and romantic aspirations as mere uncomfortable growths injurious to self-interest but gervaise was not one of these outwardly he assumed more or less the composed and careless demeanour of the modern french cynic but inwardly the man was a raging fire of fierce passions which was sometimes too strong to be held in check at the present moment he was prepared to sacrifice everything even life itself to obtain possession of the woman he coveted and he made no attempt whatever to resist the tempest of desire that was urging him on with an invincible force in a direction which for some strange and altogether inexplicable reason he dreaded yes there was a dim sense of terror lurking behind all the wild passion that filled his soul a haunting vague idea that this sudden love with its glowing ardour and intoxicating delirium was like the brilliant red sunset which frequently prognosticates a night of storm ruin and death yet though he felt this presentiment like a creeping shudder of cold through his blood it did not hold him back or for a moment impress him with the idea that it might be better to yield no further to this desperate love-madness which enthralled him once only he thought what if i left egypt now at once and saw her no more and then he laughed scornfully at the impossibility proposed leave egypt he muttered i might as well leave the world altogether she would draw me back with those sweet wild eyes of hers she would drag me from the uttermost parts of the earth to fall at her feet in a very agony of love my god she must have her way and do with me as she will for i feel that she holds my life in her hands as he spoke these last words half aloud he sprang up from the chair in which he had been reclining and stood for a moment lost in frowning meditation my life in her hands he repeated musingly yes it has come to that my life a great sigh broke from him my life my art my work my name in all these things i have taken pride and she she can trample them under her feet and make of me nothing more than a man clamouring for woman's love what a wild world it is 
what a strange force must that be which created it the force that some men call god and others devil a strange blind brute force for it makes us aspire only to fall it gives us a man's dreams of ambition and splendid attainment only to fling him like a mad fool on a woman's breast and bid him find there and there only the bewildering sweetness which makes everything else in existence poor and tame in comparison well my life what is it a mere grain of sand dropped in the sea let her do with it as she will god how i felt her power upon me last night last night when her lithe figure swaying in the dance reminded me he paused startled at the turn his own thoughts were taking of what let me try and express to myself now what i could not express or realize last night she ziska i thought was mine mine from her dimpled feet to her dusky hair and she danced for me alone it seemed that the jewels she wore upon her rounded arms and slender ankles were all love gifts from me every circlet of gold every starry shining gem on her fair body was the symbol of some secret joy between us joy so keen as to be almost pain and as she danced i thought i was in a vast hall of a majestic palace where open colonnades revealed wide glimpses of a burning desert and deep blue sky i heard the distant sound of rolling drums and not far off i saw the sphinx a creature not old but new resting upon a giant pedestal and guarding the sculptured gate of some great temple which contained as i then thought all the treasures of the world i could paint the picture as i saw it then it was a fleeting impression merely conjured up by the dance that dizzied my brain and that song of the lotus lily that was strange very strange for i thought i had heard it often before and i saw myself in the vague dream a prince a warrior almost a king and far more famous in the world than i am now he looked about him uneasily with a kind of nervous terror and his eyes rested for a moment on the easel where the picture he had painted of the princess was placed covered from view by a fold of dark cloth bah he exclaimed at last with a forced laugh what stupid fancies fool me it is all the vague talk of that would-be learned ass dr dean with his ridiculous theories about life and death i shall be imagining i'm his fad araxes next this sort of thing will never do let me reason out the matter calmly i love this woman love her to absolute madness it is not the best kind of love maybe but it is the only kind i am capable of and such as it is she possesses it all what then well we go to-morrow to the pyramids and we join her at the meaner house i and the poor boy denzil he will try his chance i mine if he wins i shall kill him as surely as i myself live yes even though he is helan's brother no man shall snatch ziska from my arms and continue to breathe if i win it is possible he may kill me and i shall respect him for trying to do it but i shall satisfy my love first ziska will be mine mine in every sense of possession before i die yes that must be 
that will have to be. And afterwards, well, let Denzil do his worst. A man can but die once. He drew the cloth off his easel and stared at the strange picture of the princess, which seemed almost sentient in its half-watchful, half-mocking expression. There is a dead face and a living one on this canvas, he said, and the dead face seems to enthrall me as much as the living. Both have the same cruel smile, both the same compelling magnetism of eye. Only it is a singular thing that I should know the dead face even more intimately than the living, that the tortured look upon it should be a kind of haunting memory, horrible, ghastly. He flung the cloth over the easel again impatiently and tried to laugh at his own morbid imagination. I know he's responsible for all this nonsense, he said. It is that ridiculous little half-mad faddist Dr. Dean. He's going to the Mina house too. Well, he will be the witness of a comedy or a tragedy there, and heaven alone knows which it will be. And to distract his thoughts from dwelling any longer, on the haunting ideas that perplexed him, he took up one of the latest and frothiest of French novels and began to read. Someone in a room not far off was singing a French song, a man with a rich baritone voice, and unconsciously to himself, Gervaise caught words as they rang out full and clearly on the quiet, heated air. Songs to and something like a mist of tears clouded his aching eyes as he repeated half mechanically and dreamily Encore. End of chapter 12